You're listening to audio from Cornerstone Church. We hope you're encouraged by the following message. Let's jump in. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you so much for today. God, we thank you for your goodness and for your mercy, God, and who you are, that you are the great I am. Lord, we thank that you are in control of our nation, our world, God, that things are around us that we see that are in turmoil, God, that we know that God, you're still in control of our lives, Lord. We turn to you and look to you in times, God, that we don't understand. And, God, we lean heavily on you, Holy Spirit, to lead and guide our lives. We thank you so much, God, that you're with us, that you never leave us and you never forsake us, Lord. You are good and always good to your people. And, God, we can trust you. We can count on you, God. Lord, you are in control of things in our lives. We may not understand what's going on around the world, but, God, we know we can trust you, Lord. And we can always turn to you, Lord. We thank you for that, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we pray and everybody said, amen, amen. You guys can be seated. Hey, thanks for joining online. Thanks for being with us today. Appreciate you guys being here and joining together with us today. I am joined with my great friend, Carolyn Clark, here, as she refers to many times. She is like my sister from down under. In other words, she's from Aussie, and so you'll hear that in a moment. But I'm so thankful for you being here today with me. Thank you guys for coming, and Tim and Abby, somewhere around here. Oh, there's Tim right there. I, you know, when you're here, you can't see a thing. Carol and I was just talking a second ago. You only see, like, about the first couple of rows, and that's, if you look too far, you get blinded. So um, it's just so bright. But so <clears throat> we're going to talk a little bit today about the role of empathy in cross-cultural bridges. And so Carolyn has, okay, and you're not supposed to say things like age and things like that, but so <laughs> we're supposed to say experience in... Well-seasoned, there you go, experience in uh, cross-cultural um, uh, development, of not just leaders, uh, business leaders, ministry leaders, and many of these in 50 different, I didn't realize 50 nations. Over that, we stopped counting. Are you on? 50, I don't know if I'm on. What's your, oh, is the pack off? Mm-hmm. Let's see. While she's doing that, let me tell you a little bit about. Um, I think I didn't. There we go. Oh, there we go. Okay. There we go. Good. So I didn't know over 50 nations. Yeah, we stopped counting because it seemed to be a little bit prideful. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I've been to like five. Like, I, I feel like, you know, I'm saying like, wow, 50 nations. Yeah, I was involved in doing a lot of leadership development, course creation, um, what we would call ministry conferences. So we would come in and train pastors, leaders, leaders of nonprofits and NGOs, so not just yeah. churches. Yeah. So NGO, interesting enough, I, I learned this as some of my travels, but many people may not know. Maybe explain it. What, when you say NGO, just real quick. Not non-government organizations. Right. So not profits, but they can be organi- community development organizations. So I spent a number of years working in fairly impoverished areas in southern Africa, both rural and urban, and so we were involved in NGOs providing fresh water, yeah. gardening skills, um, soup kitchens, things like that. Yeah. These things happen all over the world. You, you may not realize you think, um, well, when you hear terms that are mentioned, you may not realize how many different things are out there, but many times we cross the bridge and working with some which are maybe nonprofits, mm-hmm. NGOs, sometimes even government agencies, it depends on how it all works out, and you're doing the best you can to build bridges and to help develop work. And Tim, which you don't see, but her husband, Tim, great friend of mine as well, um, he's worked in business development in Southeast Asia, South Pacific, and in Africa. And uh, these guys are getting ready, preparing now to relocate to somewhere in the Middle East, and um, 
which you're going to continue to do the same thing there, develop yes. more leaders. And, and, and I love this, what you talked about this, about also helping in the areas of refugees and Christians and in communities that are under-resourced as well. Yeah. So, yeah. so um, we get impacted by the refugee crisis here, but in the Middle East it's far worse. And so you have countries like, for instance, Jordan, and mm-hmm. I may not be completely accurate, but you're looking at about one-fifth of the population. Of, of the country of Jordan being actual refugees. Uh, we came back late last year from Lebanon, and just in the Bekaa Valley, you have over one million uh, refugees, predominantly Syrian. So it's a huge crisis, it but is, also it is. an opportunity. It's a huge, great opportunity as well, like you said. And I saw firsthand, like, when you see stuff on TV, you think, okay, that's, you know, you don't know what to think half the time what you hear when you see it on TV. But when you see it yourself... I mean, I walk through tents of refugee housing is what it's called, but it's mm. no different than a plastic tarp from Lowe's, mm. and that's it. Yeah. And, and when you're talking about ministering to refugees, there's so many conversations that brought up about that. I don't want to get off on all that, but it's bigger than what um, the majority of the people there have nowhere to go. Yeah. You've literally. got literally millions of people that can't educate their children, uh, that have no schools, so you've got a whole generation growing up uh, without education. You have large communities which have no running water, no sanitation, no health care, um, and they're living like that uh, indefinitely. Yeah. And with no legal options of finding income or employment, completely dependent on whatever aid is able to be provided. So, yeah, yeah and, that, and that's real. Like, that is not, I say this lovingly, that is not something that someone did an article on or a news story on. <laughs> You've seen it. I've seen it firsthand. It's real. Yeah. It's hard to walk away from. It's very hard to walk away I th- from. I think when you spend time with people and, and you see that they're not that different to you and they have the same heart as you and they love their children like you do. And uh, I, th- I think if you have any compassion in your heart, you want to make a difference. So, yeah. I think that's a great word, compassion. And I want to talk to you. The reason I ask, you know, we were talking about different things, and I talked to Carolyn and Tim, and um, we were going to do a video, just so you guys know, we were going to do a video, and I was going to play it uh, in the middle of the week and different things, but a number of reasons. uh, We were just in the process of a number of things happening here. I know many of you are asking about coming back to church, and we're in the process of converting back over to to live environments fully. Um, but we just realized, I thought, you know, this is too important. I would rather hear this on a Sunday when I have as many people watching as possible to hear this message, much of which, and I didn't mean to, but I totally forgot about your time in Africa and your experiences there, what you did from like 1990s. Yeah. Um, you were there yes. in and amongst some of the most difficult seasons, apartheid. Yeah. So, Carolyn, I wanted her to share a little bit about what was it like we're seeing things in our country constantly resurface, mm-hmm. and we think we're the only ones, but we're not. Maybe you share a little bit about your experiences with being in Africa, some of the things you saw, yeah. anything about that you'd love to share with us that would... So I ended up in South Africa, and, and I know, you know, when I used to speak about this years ago, everyone understood apartheid South Africa and segregation there, but we have a younger generation Mm-hmm. including my daughter, that doesn't understand what South Africa w- was like. So I came from Australia. That's where the accent is from. 
Uh, we were certainly, I was raised in uh, what I would say was a non-colour conscious environment. Mm -hmm. So from my cultural background, my family background and education, we never used terminology like white, black or anything. We, we just, it would be considered crass. It's still considered fairly crass. And this in, is in Australia. A, this is in Australia, yeah. And nor were we um, in my family and community. I'm not saying Australia doesn't have racism because it certainly does. Wherever humans are, you have hatred. Mm. Um, but uh, I was not raised to be conscious of those things. Multi-ethnic friends, multi-ethnic community. Um, and I went to South Africa basically as a 22-year-old, so pretty young, pretty naive, <laughs> Um, didn't know anyone in, in the whole continent. Um, I wrote a letter to a pastor, actually, in Johannesburg, South Africa, because I'd seen him on a video. And I was in a place in my life where I was really frustrated and hungry for God. And I simply said, would you let me come, you know, and learn? Because I heard all these wonderful things happening out of South Africa and what God was doing. And I wanted to see it. I just wanted to learn. And I literally said, look, I will sweep the floors. I'll drive cars. I'll clean the toilets, whatever. Just let me come and learn. So um, that was a man by the name of Ray McCauley. Uh, one of his staff uh, called Ron Still wrote back and basically said, come on. But they were very wise. I mean, I'm just a kid, really. And they understood the situation in South Africa. You had deep segregation, deep racial divide. Um, it was an apartheid system, so people were forced to live uh, separated, and separated by race mm. um, and color. Um, and there were very harsh rules about that. It was a system that basically kept power uh, politically and socially and culturally in the hands of about 15% of the population. Mm. Um, for me, I didn't know anything about that. I remember <laughs> in order to prepare, I watched a movie called Cry Freedom, which I recommend, um, but that was my depth of preparation. <laughs> um, and they said, come on, but we want you to not just work with us in Johannesburg, which was white, mm -hmm. okay, but to work in one of the African townships. And they literally sent me a list of pastors, and I was a super spiritual 21-year-old. So I, I prayed over it. One name jumped out. His name was Moses Sono, and I wrote back and said, okay, I'm going to work with this guy. I didn't know then that he was pastoring the largest African church, so fully African church, in South Africa and still today has gone on to have great influence, him and Grace Bible Church. So I entered South Africa with complete ignorance about different cultures. Gotcha. All I knew was Australia yeah. and how I was raised. And from day one, there was things that were aggravating, irritating, uncomfortable, even racial terms. You know, yeah. it's like if you constantly sinning every yeah. time I had to say a particular <laughs> word or anything. And um, I just believe that those experiences, um, first of all, working with the white community in, in Johannesburg, which I did initially, and then fully going into the African community in uh, Soweto. I worked in Soweto um, for a number of months, really became very formative to me. Um, I can look back today at what I do, um, what I do now, crossing cultural bridges, working in different cultures, 
um, reconciling people to each other, you yeah. know, um, whether it's Muslim and Christian or black and white. Mm. And I can trace this back to my years in South Africa. Wow. What, um, one of the best things that happened to me was that uh, before I was allowed into the township of Soweto, and this was at a time where there was great political riots, um, mm. a lot of people dying, a yeah. lot of people being arrested. I mean, uh, my life was for many, many m- months constantly in danger. Um, Mosa, Pastor Mosa, he's called Bishop now, uh, would not allow me to come into Soweto until he had met with me. And he sat me down, and basically I think he was trying to find out whether I was a flake or not, (laughs) (laughs) or whether I was going to create trouble. And I think he was really doing a litmus test of my humility, Hmm. of how much I would be a listener Hmm. and uh, teachable. Um, but after he got to know me and we had a couple of meetings, he allowed me into Soweto. So I was fully immersed in three different cultures, actually. I also lived in what was called, um, there's a word for it that we won't use, but a biracial community, which right. was also segregated from the African and the white. And so I had full immersion in three different communities that each had their own narrative their own story about what was happening in the country. So when I was with white Christians, God-loving, God-fearing, worshipping Christians, they would tell me their opinion about what was happening in the country. The political unrest, Mandela got released. Basically, within the week of me arriving in South Africa, Mandela was released from Robben Island. They would give me their narrative about what was happening, And then when I was with my multiracial, biracial community, they would give me their narrative on what was happening, their perspective. Everyone had a strong opinion. And then when I was with my African brothers and sisters, I would experience their narrative. Hmm. And so to go from one community that says, oh, it's not a race issue, this is not really happening, what they're saying is happening is not really happening and then going and living among the African community and experiencing for myself um, being thrown out of restaurants, being in fear for my life, being chased by white guys with whips simply because of people. I, had to, I got chased out of town once because of people I was uh, associating with, being forced to only go to certain restaurants, to only stay in certain places um, and to hear the stories of wonderful men and women of God that I was working with who had mostly, all of them, lost a loved one that had simply disappeared in the night because they had been taken by the police. I learned that good people can have broad differences of opinion Mm. about what a country is experiencing. And it taught me to broaden my perspective and to become a listener. And I think that's really formative for who I am today is that I've learned to to be a bridge builder, not a divider. Mm. And to be somebody that realizes we can all have the same experience but a very different perspective on it. Yeah, and I think that's... When you say bridge builders, that's the thing. I think, you know, we use bridges all the time. We use them in town. We use, you know, 
constantly. We don't think about it. Here we have three or four more than that. They cross over various parts of the bridges. I mean, the, the rivers here in Rome. And, and we use them, un, we don't think about when we're using them how difficult it is to build a bridge. Yeah. It is not something you do overnight. It doesn't happen in a moment. It takes hard work. It takes planning. It takes the willingness, like you said, to listen to engineers, developers. I mean, you know, in construction, if you just listen to the designer, oh, my goodness, you know, you, you may not ever get a structure built because it'll be pretty, but it won't stand up, you know. Yeah. But if, if you just listen to the person who's the structural engineer, oh, it'll be awful. It'll be the ugliest thing you've ever seen in your life. Yeah. But you... The two have to work together. Has to be intentional. Intentional. Yeah. So, and you have to recognize that there is a difference. There's a divide. You know, I think a lot of us approach perspectives assuming that we understand the other perspective. And until you've been in those shoes and lived like that and experienced what that person on the other side of the bridge has experienced, you don't know. Yeah. You know, all you know is what you've seen and what you've experienced. That's so good. It's so true. I mean, th- that is the one thing I will say that <clears throat> uh, throughout the last couple of years that um, we, we started years and years ago. I think with everything going on right now here, I think it's easy to think, well, <clears throat> uh, especially if, you, maybe if you're watching online or in the room with me right now, you may be thinking, well, Pastor Jody, what is the big deal? This has always gone on. Why are you engaging so much in this now? Well, what you may not realize is we intentionally started this many years ago. Like, I, I've been doing this for multiple years. It took us almost four years to break through in our pastors, local pastors group. Four years. Listening to the heartbreak, the cries, the pain, and the trauma that my brothers in the Lord have endured, not from anything other than, for lack of better words, the color of their skin. I, I, that's it. Forget about politics and everything else. And again, Christians, this is not, it's not the devil, it's not demons, and it's not, it'd be easier if you said it that, at least we could point that out. But years of this, I started Steve Dennis, Uh Steve, almost eight, nine years ago now, and I took him to lunch because something had happened, and I said, hey man, look, can you help me understand what's going on, because I don't get this. And I remember him telling me, we're eating lunch in Longhorns. I never forget this big Steve Dennis. He's got arms like, I always wanted muscles like that. And <clears throat> we're sitting, he's got a big old plate of food. And I'm going like, man, I can't eat that much. I'll, he, you know, he's got muscles to feed and all. He's like, deep voice, pastor. I said, what do you He said, this is what we do. I said, what do you mean? He said, we eat lunch together. Yes. He said, see all those people there? They're looking right now going, what is that white boy eating with that black man? Yeah. I said, no, they don't think that. He said, they do think that. And it hit me right then and there. Either A, bridge building, yeah. or ignore the issue. But to me, I don't think it can be ignored. And so you saying that, why do you think it's important from a Christian's perspective as a Christ follower? Hmm. Why is it important to be a bridge builder and then, or to be involved in reconciliation? Yeah. What, why do you feel that is so important? What's well, the heart <laughs> of the gospel? Isn't it? I mean, if we are to be true Jesus followers, then we have to follow him in what he cares about and in what he is doing in the earth. 
And so I like to sum the whole gospel up with basically God is making all things right. Mm. Yeah. And when Jesus came and he preached the kingdom of heaven, uh, when the apostles began to go out, they preached the kingdom of heaven. They didn't just preach personal salvation, like how to come to him and, and get a ticket to heaven. They preached what does it look like where God reigns, mm. where God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the kingdom yes, of heaven. Absolutely. And central to the message of the kingdom of heaven is, as Ephesians says and Colossians says, God is reconciling all things to himself. Yeah. He is making everything that is damaged by sin, everything that's been damaged by the curse, right again. He's correcting it. And that includes division between you and I. The scripture says that the division between like Jews and Gentiles, he is eradicating through the body of Jesus so that you and I are reconciled to each other. The division between genders, which that's a whole other story that I could share about. But but he is (laughs) reconciling that so that we are now one man or one body in Christ. And he's reconciling all of creation. He is making everything right again. So if we are truly not just, you know, I use this term cultural Christians, Mm -hmm. but if we are people who have determined with our whole heart that Jesus is our Lord, then we must care about what he cares about and we must be deeply devoted to what he is doing in the earth. And righteousness and justice and reconciliation is at the heart of what God is doing, both to himself and to one another. That's so true. That's why, to me, like, <clears throat> that's why I've been talking about the whole 10 to 12 thing on Sunday. Like, it's, it is not, to me, that is cultural Christianity. Mm-hmm. And not to be, not to create any more friction, that's already is. I'm pretty good but at that. I, I may let you do it, but... <laughs> Just blame me for this whole conversation. <laughs> blame the Aussie, you know. I can take it. But it's, it's true, like to me, it's not enough anymore to say. We are so used to that culturally here, especially here in the Bible Belt. But America, it's Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, Put on our religious clothes. And go to church. Yeah. Go eat some lunch somewhere. Don't leave a good tip because they didn't give you your water quick enough. Therefore, we're known by our fruits, bottom yeah, line. It's disturbing. It's it? very disturbing. And it, it's just, it's bothered me. Like, I, I'm mm-hmm. to the point now where I'm just, I'm, I'm to the point of where I just can't do any more casual Christianity. It's not worth it, really. And in, the way, in a way, we're really diminishing the name of Jesus. You know, I, in America, and I hate to say this, I am a U.S. citizen now, so I'm actually allowed <laughs> to speak. Woohoo! Yeah. <laughs> You're allowed to speak. I, I'm allowed to speak. I tried to stay quiet a long time, uh, but now I'm a U.S. citizen. You have permission to... <laughs> I That's vote, funny. I can speak. Um, uh. <laughs> but I have to admit, in many of my conversations, like when I travel on planes and stuff, I try to allow uh, the fact that I'm a Christian or a Christian minister come out last. Yeah. And that's because those that um, do not know Jesus personally, their only picture of him has come from the church. Yep. So true. The established church and what they see on TV. And I find that 
we as believers really need to examine what impression we're creating. I agree. I agree. And that leads us to the, the idea of empathy. You know, from the standpoint of empathy and why that's so essential, like, the word empathy, we're good at sympathy. Mm. You know, sympathy is uh, is a is a term that uh, we're great, especially in, in the southeast. Oh man, listen, bless your darling heart. Oh, I feel so sad for you. Oh, baby, it's going to be okay. I mean, we're very sympathetic people. I think sometimes it's a put on, but we it's won't nice. go. <laughs> but why is empathy so essential? And then maybe how do we grow in that as, okay. as Christians? So it's amazing. That God, who knows everything and is perfect, we can all agree on that, values empathy so much that he became one of us. Mm. He didn't have to. I mean, I'm pretty sure he could have found a way to fix this problem. But he decided to become flesh. We talk about the incarnation of Christ. And yes, it was so that we could know what God looks like in the flesh. You know, I say Jesus is God in a language we can understand. But also that he could truly identify with us. And that's empathy. Truly identifying with us. He did not remove himself and he could have from our pain, from our suffering, from our sin, our brokenness, from poverty, from sickness. God himself chose to cross and build the biggest bridge there ever was. And Philippians says that he laid aside his divinity. He humbled himself and became one of us. That is how Jesus works with people. And I think if God is so big on empathy, that we could have a high priest that feels what we feel, has been touched by what touches us, then we too, as Jesus followers, must value empathy. That I can't sit in my self-righteous or pain-free or wealthy or whatever the blessings and benefits and power there are that I have. I can't sit and hold tightly to this. I must follow his example of incarnational ministry Mm. in identifying with the weak, in identifying with the poor, identifying with the suffering. And I just don't see a gospel without empathy. That's, that's just straight up. That right there is worth everything you logged on to listen to today to hear that alone, that Christ, ultimate, ultimate empathy right there to become like us so that he would know what it was like to be us. He was willing to do it and to lay aside his position yeah. of privilege and power. That's right, yeah, yeah. to be empathetic. That's, that's huge right there. Yeah. We could unpack that a lot. A whole lot. It's you know? knowing how to do it. Yeah. But it's taking practical steps. Absolutely. And I think one of the first things, and it goes against what much of us have been taught in church, but it's a willingness to be uncomfortable. Yeah. And none of us like being uncomfortable. No. Right? It's, no. We, have, we have a gospel. We have a message of Christianity that basically emphasizes comfort for many of us. It yeah. emphasizes provision and blessing and peace and everything like this. But we neglect the, the, the message of Jesus that really calls us on a path that is narrow and dangerous and persecuted and difficult. 
And that is also the heart of God's message for us. If we are going to identify or have empathy with those that have experienced something very different to ourselves, we have to be willing to be uncomfortable. Because being around people that are different, that think differently, vote differently, claim to have different experiences or perspectives, that's uncomfortable. Yeah. I mean, I don't know about you, but it's hugely uncomfortable to be confronted with experiences or ideas, ideologies that are different to mine. Yeah. But we also know that um, discomfort can be good for us. I mean, if you're going to get those muscles that you want. (laughs) I'm not going to get those muscles, I assure you. I'll have to do something illegal (laughs) to get that kind of muscle. I'm just telling you right now, you know what I'm saying? I wish I could, but it ain't happening. But how do you get them? Yeah, you got to work out hard. right? There's a burn. Yes, there is. And if we're going to identify with Jesus and identify with those we're called to reach, yeah. then there's a burn, yeah. a, a, a pain that we have to be willing to do. And I, I have to admit, most of the time I've spent, I feel like I've spent about 80% of my life being uncomfortable. Wow. But it's a good kind of discomfort. See, I would say the flip side for me, for years, I just didn't. Just being honest, I just didn't, didn't didn't see the, didn't understand, didn't understand the situations, didn't care to really engage with it, to be honest with you. Not from a, because I'm mean. I just, I just felt like, okay, I understand what my life is like, so therefore, um, everyone else should just understand and be able to move forward. What's the deal? Mm -hmm. But like you said, once you take that step towards and you hear things that you didn't hear in your you know, culture or whatever you want to call it, environment, it's hard to not step towards that any further. Like, it's like hearing Hmm. someone tell you, you know, I'm sick and I'm dying and you have a cure and not being willing to share that. that You've got got to die to something. Hmm. In order to not take action, you have to die to something on the inside of you. You've got to basically say, no, I think it's human. I think it's compassion. I think it's the Holy Spirit. Mm. I think it's his spirit in us that we basically have to say, I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to step out. I don't want to stand up. I don't want to use my voice. So we're intentionally denying the promptings of the spirit on Mm. the inside of us. And in the end, it damages everybody. Yeah. I think we have to also be willing to really recognize that all of us are born with a very limited horizon. It's, it's mm. a term I use. You know, we, we are a product of our upbringing. I am who I am because of my parents, the generations before me, the culture I was raised in, how I was educated. Yeah. And then every single experience I've had since then. That's all been part of my programming. We can't change that. You know, that's, that's who we are. That's that's, right. We all have programming, mm-hmm. you know. Um, my husband has programming. We, when we were dating and then got married, and he's, he's allowed me to say this, I was constantly dealing with what I thought were racial comments from him and, and comments that would not be appropriate where I came from, right. you know, because we have a cross-cultural marriage. Um, so it's recognizing that I am limited by my horizon. What I've experienced and seen totally informs my opinion. It does. And so in order to be a bridge builder or somebody who pursues empathy, we have to intentionally broaden our horizon. 
And again, that's leading into uncomfortable experiences. What does that look like? It means how many times in your life have you been the minority? Now, I spent years as the only vanilla cookie <laughs> in a church of thousands. Yeah. They used to joke I would always brighten up the place. <laughs> Um, I've spent years in cultures that are not my birth culture. Yep. You know, and every time I do, every experience I do, every border I've crossed or culture I've crossed, it's been a broadening of my horizons on the perspectives of what people think are normal or right. Yeah. And I think we have to intentionally, if we're going to follow Jesus, broaden our horizons, broaden our relationships. Got to broaden our ability to be the minority in yep, a situation, you know, to ask how diverse are my friends. I think that's another issue. You know, we have a cultural climate right now that hates diversity. Yeah, it's, it hates it. If you have a different opinion to me, you're wrong and you are less than. Mm-hmm. It's true. Where did we get this from? You know, God loves diversity. And I think we have to lean back into that fact that it's okay for you and I to be different. You and yeah, I, you and I know we have different opinions. You Absolutely. Know, we could have a good argument up yeah, here. Yeah, we could. <laughs> you know, but we've got to value that. We do. And enjoy it and learn from it. Absolutely. And I think that's probably the third um, recommendation I would have if you want to pursue empathy mm-hmm. and become a bridge builder is you've got to follow Jesus' example in laying aside your position, your right to think and believe what you believe. Mm. You've got to be willing to suspend it and then humble yourself and become a learner yeah. and a listener. Everyone be, uh, what is it, quick to hear, slow to speak, yeah. slow to anger. Straight up. To, 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 to build, be a bridge builder means becoming humble and a learner. To not be so willing to come into a situation and think, I already know, I have an opinion, I should be heard. I think when Pastor Mosa met with me those times, that's what he was looking for. Mm. Am I willing to be wrong? Am I willing to be corrected? Am I willing to listen? And am I willing to learn? And all these attributes, I think, make us better uniters and reconcilers rather than haters and divided. I think in you know we were talking about this the scripture that how many times we've all read this and not stopped to think about it, but where there is envy and division mm-hmm. and all these different attributes that are right there, there is strife. There is every evil work. Yeah. Or you transfer that to the presence of Satan. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be pitchforks and, and, and horns. Yeah. Division and strife create the atmosphere for the demonic. Whether you see pitchforks or whether you see horns, it doesn't matter. But we are called, Haley calls it, you know, in the Bible, like when you read the word about Jesus said, be the peacemakers. um, She said, you know, that's not easy to do because you have to deal with making things right, which makes things uncomfortable. But we have to be willing to do that in order to bring peace you just can't you just can't allow things that are wrong to just watch it and say well I just leave that for someone else to deal with yeah we all have personal responsibility 
And I think that's, um, you know, we like to look at history. I'm a, I'm a big history buff. Mm. And, you know, I've studied Nazi Germany, and it was actually a pretty big theme for me in my early years in South Africa is this relationship between politics, justice, and faith, and mm. how do I work that out? But one thing I learned that I've kind of incorporated in my own life is just the simple truth that, you know, we know this expression, evil thrives when good men do nothing. And that I don't have the option of doing nothing. Because if I do nothing, then guess what? Mm -hmm. I'm on the side of evil. So I have to make a choice of when there is injustice, when there's hatred, when there's division, when there is suffering. Even if it's not my suffering, it's somebody else's suffering. Whether it's the suffering of a refugee Mm -hmm. or the suffering of an African-American who has experienced daily and habitual and systemic prejudice, I must be willing to do something and speak, or else I bear the accountability for it. Yeah. I think that's strong, but I think that needs to be said. I mean, that's it's, it's just the reality. I told my kids, I, I told my wife, I, I just refuse. I, I do not want to hear this 20 years from now, the same cycle of conversations <laughs> that have gone on for the past however many years because no, because of the fact that we just won't deal with it. Mm-hmm. And, and for me, I want my kids and my grandkids to look back and say, um, you know what, so there was this, 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 and this, and this happened, and this happened, but something went off the rails in 2020. All of a sudden, like, corona will be forgotten, and, like, whatever else has happened, the asteroids that was coming in, I don't know what all happened with that thing, but everything is going on, or what they said was coming, but the one thing they know in their history books that they see is here was this, 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 but starting in 2020, all of a sudden, things shifted, and people began to have difficult conversations. Yeah. And begin to break down walls and begin to understand one another so that they could actually build the bridges necessary to change a a country. In our case, the world, much larger global thing. But in our country, this is the issue right now that I just feel like I I don't want my kids, I don't want them having to deal with it. They they need to be further along in in the bridge building process than us. Like, I just, that's where I'm at. Yeah. We want to make a difference. We want to make a difference. We want to be in history. We want to be on the side of the people that didn't just go along with evil. Yeah. That decided to be on the side of people that stood up against it. That's it. And and we do all get that choice every day. You know, whether it's do we fuel the fire of argument, division, whether it's on social media, Mm -hmm. hatred, misunderstanding, being adamant about our opinion. Yeah. Or do we pour oil? And uh, bring reconciliation and talk about peace and listen before we speak. Mm. And really just validate the fact that though you are different to me and I have not experienced what you've experienced, I will listen to you. Mm. Because you're pretty darn sure you've experienced what you've experienced. Yeah. And I want to hear your story. Yeah. yeah. I think to that today as we, as we close up, I, I think that... Um, it's taking a step forward here today. I pray that everyone hears some steps. Uh, I heard some great steps there. That thing on empathy, everything's great, but to go back and think about what Jesus did in the side of empathy, that would be worth a Bible study alone on right there. To understand that your Christ did that for you, why would we not be empathetic towards others? At least begin that process. And <clears throat> as we wrap up today, I, I just thought maybe I'll pray for... Um, 
I'll pray for those of you, maybe you're at home right now and you're struggling through some things and maybe you're having difficulty right now in the last couple of weeks. It might be difficult. I might have created some of your difficulties. I don't know. Maybe I did. But, but if I have, then I challenge you to, um, to be willing to understand what I'm doing as a leader, that um, I'm not going to sit on the sidelines. I have, there's some, th- some things I've said that, I, look, I, I'm not going to get into a lot of doctrinal issues with people. I'm too, I'm too, uh, I'm, I'm too broad in my, I'm Jesus 100%. You're very nice. Jerry. I'm very nice, but very I don't nice. have the You're energy. You're a lot nicer than I am. Yeah, I don't have the energy to get into all the, the details of doctrine sometimes. Not that I couldn't, but I just, it lends to more, but this no, this, I, I'm willing to step two, and if it, it is what it is, and I, I'm trying to help that process, but if it's bothering us, then that might be a good thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it bothered me when my brothers in the Lord sat in a room with me and told me things mm-hmm. right here in the city. Yeah. It bothered me when I heard one of my pastors say, uh, brothers in, in the group, that he has lived with an infer- inferiority spirit for years because that's what he was taught from the Bible. Yeah. It broke my heart because mm-hmm. that's why I am stepping to this the way I am. It is not because it's on the TV. It is because it is in our face right now. Yeah. But I've been dealing with this for the last four years with pastors, going back further with others. But as we close, I just thought maybe uh, as we pray out, would you mind praying for maybe the folks in here, the folks, everybody watching online that's going to watch it this week? Sure. Um, this is on your heart from mm-hmm. going overseas. You've seen way more than I have. But uh, maybe just pray for everyone before we go. All right. Mm-hmm. Father, there's a lot going on that uh, we don't understand. And there's many noises, many voices. Um, some distracting. But in the midst of all this, I'm asking, Father, for us, for Pastor Jody and his family, for the team here at Cornerstone, for our family here at Cornerstone, and for this nation, Lord God, that those of us that are following you would hear your voice, that we would hear what the Spirit of God is saying to us, because you are speaking. In the midst of all the noise and all the anger and all the pain, you are speaking. Help us to discern your voice, Lord God. Father, I pray for healing for all that have wounded and all that have been the offender Mm -hmm. and all that have been offended. I pray that we would learn in deeper ways how to walk in love with one another and be true reconcilers. I do pray for Pastor Jody because I feel what he is experiencing right now and uh, the criticism against him. And I lift him up before you that you would strengthen him. But with all my heart, Father, I pray that you open the eyes of our understanding to what we need to see and how we need to act. And I ask it in Jesus' name. And listen, while we're here, just in an attitude of prayer, like maybe you're watching online or <clears throat> you're joining us right now and you're catching the end of this and you're, you're just, you joined on for prayer. And maybe you're here today and you're asking God to move in your life and you don't know Christ. And you're sitting there listening to my voice. You're listening to Miss Carolyn, some of the things she just said. And you're thinking to yourself, I don't know a Jesus. I don't know a Savior who 
is empathetic towards me. I've never heard those words that he would come and die for me. Can I just pray for you right now? If you're watching or listening right now, you watched in the middle of the week, whenever it is right now, we're going to put some information right there on your screen, whether you're watching by YouTube, live stream, or on Facebook right now. But man, you listen, you don't know Christ. I want to pray for you right now and lead you in a prayer of reconciliation to God. And so um, everyone in this room is going to pray, and we're going to pray for you right now. So would you just bow your head right where you are as we pray for this? Lord, in the name of Jesus, we come before you. For every person who's watching right now that doesn't know you, they don't know Christ as their Savior, God, I pray that they would acknowledge you today. They would acknowledge you and who you are as we lead them in this prayer. Just repeat this prayer for me. Something towards this, you can just pray it. I'm going to just pray. You just pray something towards like this. Father, we just come to you today in Jesus' name, and I give you my life. I give you my heart. I give you my soul. Dear Jesus, break down anything in my life, God, that is not of you. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus, as I surrender my life to you today, you would save me and that you would forgive me. God, I make you the Lord of my life, Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Man, if you prayed that prayer, we're so proud of you, church. Would you give my hand right now? Would you let them know online by throwing up some hearts, throwing up some likes? Let them know you appreciate this right now. And listen, we want to help you get started walking with Christ. There in the, the screen right there as you watch, leave some information right there that you can just uh, reply to. Our team will get with you and help you get started walking with Christ. And listen, as always, before we leave, every single Sunday we like to declare this over your life. We get this from Numbers. This is the priestly blessing of of. Uh, Moses that was declared, Aaron actually is the one that did this. But as we pray this over our church every day, you know, this is something we do not out of, I guess you would say, um, habit or ritual, but we do believe this strongly. And so the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons to bless the people of Israel with this blessing before. May the Lord bless you and protect you, and may the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. And the scriptures say, whenever Aaron and his sons bless the people of Israel in my name, I myself will bless them. Man, God bless you. We love you guys so much. Look forward to seeing you soon. God bless you. See you next time. We hope you were blessed by today's message. If so, feel free to pay it forward and share this podcast with someone else. Thanks for listening.